Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. We're so glad you're here at the Lighthouse today. Whether you're here in the house or whether you're uh, joining us online, uh, we're glad that you've chosen to join us at Lighthouse this morning. Uh, my name is Larry Sewell. I'm one of the elders here. I'm working with Don and Fritz and Ben Teal, who, who kind of leads the charge down in uh, Bluffton each uh, week. Um, you may not know this, uh, but Bluffton Church uh, is a sister church to Lighthouse. And the, the idea of building up on County Road 99 to create more space so that people can engage the gospel is the same reason that uh, Lighthouse is participating in, in helping to start the church in Bluffton, because uh, we're making space for people to engage uh, the gospel. Um, I remember back about six and a half years ago, uh, there was a small group of us on a missions trip. We were down in uh, Columbia, and uh, you know it's unsafe to go out at night, and so in the evenings we would be inside the, the, uh, the hotel, and this particular hotel had kind of this upstairs balcony over the roof. There's like a roof outside, and you're kind of overlooking the city. And I remember going there, and we would pray in the evenings, and we would pray in the mornings before we would go out and do evangelism. And we saw literally hundreds of people uh, move from spiritual darkness to spiritual light. We were sharing the gospel on the street through translators. Uh, it was a really remarkable time, and I think about that time often. Um, I went back there several times there in Cuba and Haiti, different places. Um, but the thing I remember most about that rooftop is when we would be up there and pray, uh, praying for the, the Colombian people, uh, our minds started to think about people right here in Hancock County and the mission field that's literally in our backyard right here. And as our prayers kind of matured over the, the time we were there, uh, we found that we were praying for people back home. And, you know, we came back, and, you know, all the work was going on, and we got Lighthouse going. And then the opportunity for Bluffton came. In fact, Pastor Fritz is preaching this uh, morning down in Bluffton, our sister church. That's where he is, uh, speaking with them. I think we'll look back at this time, kind of like I I think back about Columbia. That was probably the most remarkable time uh, that I can remember, um, knowing that God was using me and God was working through me and the lives of other people. And I think we'll look back at this time, we'll say, you know, um, all, what, all that's going on with Bluffton and everything that we're talking about with County Road 99, we know we've got to talk about money and do plans and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, uh, the point is uh, clearly a focus on the gospel, people that are outside of the family of, of faith, and that we can do something as a church uh, to make a significant difference in that. Um, so together, uh, we're asking everybody to join, join in, you know, jump into this thing and uh, be part of what God is doing right here in, in Hancock County. I think that 40-day prayer guide, I've been working through that day by day. That thing's really good. Um, it was created by somebody else. We stole it, actually. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, it was really, really well, well done to f- kind of focus our thoughts and focus our hearts uh, on the gospel. This morning, we're jumping into... Uh, Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3, uh, we're finishing a little mini-series called Reversing the Curse, Reversing the Curse. Uh, Easter Sunday, we're going to start a brand new series, then we'll come back and finish Galatians a little bit uh, after that. I'd like to begin today by asking you a question. Do you have a friend 
in your life who cannot help but tell you the truth? Do you have somebody like that in your life? And not only do they, uh, can they not help themselves but tell you the truth, they, they will go to the nth degree to make sure that you understand the truth, okay? You know, they're, they're going to they're gonna dive in. They have, they have no shame about it, okay? They know what's true, and they're going to make sure that you understand what's true. I was going to make a joke about my wife, and I decided not to. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, almost 40 years, I learned a few things along the way. Um, but, you know, people like this, they just can't go with the flow, okay? They can't do that, okay? Because they know something, and they want to make sure that you understand what's true, okay? The Apostle Paul is a little bit that way. He knew that he didn't have a man-made message. He was speaking directly from God. God had uh, led him, we saw that in chapter 1 of Galatians, that God had clearly communicated with him, and he was transmitting, he was teaching that truth. When we read the Bible, we're reading God's Word. I'd like to pray together uh, this morning, but I want to ask you to do something as we get into Galatians chapter 3. I want you to slow down, like slow down your mind, and as we read through that passage after we pray, I want you to think clearly about what God is saying to us and what God might be saying to you. So let's pray, and then we'll do the swan dive into Galatians chapter 3. God, we are so thankful that your Holy Spirit leads us, that you have given us your word, that there's clarity there, there's truth there, that we can know you uh, through the power of your Spirit and through the truth that we find in the message right there in the Scripture. We're thankful for Lighthouse. We're thankful for Bluffton. We're thankful uh, for this opportunity up on County Road 99 to expand the gospel in our own backyard. And we pray that we would have discernment, we would have strength and courage, that you would guide us at every step as we move forward. We're thankful for your grace in our lives. And now, as we turn uh, to your holy word, I pray uh, just for one thing. I pray that you would open our, our hearts and our minds to uh, the truth of Scripture. Uh, I want to know you in a full way. I pray all this through Jesus. Amen. The biblical backdrop for Galatians 3 is simply this. God has revealed to us how a person comes into right relationship with him. God has revealed that to us in clarity. And not only has he revealed that, he's also told us the implications of what it means to walk in the light. We can know that in great clarity. Um, there is the old way of religion, okay, and there's the new way of walking in step with the Spirit of God. The message uh, from Galatians chapter 3 is a message for Christians to bolster their faith and give them hope that they can share with other people, but it's also a message to people who are not yet Christians. People may be who are on the fence and may be exploring uh, what the Scriptures say. And I chose the New Living Translation this week for reading because my study showed me that this translation uh, captures the heart of Paul in great clarity. So let's read uh, close, uh, very carefully and uh, slowly through Galatians chapter 3, the first uh, 14 verses. It starts this way. O foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? I'd like to translate that to English. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying, you idiots! <laughs> you know? who, has, who has given you this wild delusion? That's what he's saying. You foolish 
Galatians, who's cast an evil spell on you? How could you possibly misunderstand what the gospel is? Paul is that, that friend who is speaking truth, and he wants us to, right at the front, understand what he's talking about. For the meaning of Christ's death was made clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you a question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit, that is, supernatural rebirth, because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be after starting your new lives in Christ? Why are you trying to become perfect by your own effort? Have you been experiencing so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I asked you again. Paul's doubling down. Does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It's because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham, before the law, before circumcision, one of the earliest patriarchs, thousands and thousands of years ago, in the same way, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness because of his faith. The real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures look forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles, that is all non-Jewish people, would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So, all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. Abraham received God's blessing. He received righteousness. He received salvation. He is the spiritual father of all people who ever believe through time. So verse 10, But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under its curse. For the scriptures say, Cursed is everyone who does not observe all the commands that are written in the book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. The way of faith is different from the way of the law, which says it's through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he hung on the cross, he took on himself the curse for my wrongdoing, for it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same promise that he blessed Abraham with, so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Okay, that's a long passage, okay? and there's a lot there. And so what I want to do today is just focus on uh, three key teachings uh, from this passage. It's what Fritz would call the big rocks. You know, those things you just got to get your arms around, you got to grasp fully and really understand. Because, you know, Paul, this friend who wants to make sure you understand the truth, these are the key points that he wants us to understand that God had revealed to him. The first point is this. Salvation comes at the moment of genuine belief in the message about Christ. 
Salvation comes at the moment of genuine belief in the message about Christ. Read verse 2 with me carefully. Let me ask you one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by keeping the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message about Christ. Salvation comes only one way. Salvation comes by believing the message about Christ. Jesus himself says that the work of salvation is believing in him. Consider John chapter 6, verse 29. Jesus is speaking, and he said, This is the only God, a work that God wants from you. Believe in the one whom he has sent. And of course, Jesus is speaking about himself. All the religious exercise in the world actually just re, uh, reinforces the curse of sin and never moves us even an inch closer to God. That's not how we get close to God. It's kind of a divine reversal, okay? It's exactly opposite of our normal instincts. Paul, who is repeating Jesus, says, the only way to salvation is through genuine belief in the real Jesus. Eternal salvation is the result of believing the message about Christ. I mentioned some of those trips down to Haiti and Colombia and Cuba a minute ago, and I remember one particular man with just great detail. It's like I'm there now and can picture his face. We were sharing the gospel in the city of Medellin, and it's all compact, and we're at a doorway, and my ministry partner is sharing the gospel through a translator and the, to this family. And as we were talking, this whole family made a profession and, and turned their lives over to God as we were, were there, you know, and kind of got involved in that church. And then next, we moved uh, to a man right next door. Well, while this was all going on, I was noticing this man. He's sitting in his window, and he's listening to everything going on. And so it's my turn, and so I step up in front of the door, and it's, it's, uh, it, they got bars on the windows because it's not safe there. And uh, before I could speak, he asked me this question. He said, what do I need to do to be saved? Yeah, it's like I can answer that question, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He had heard the message about Christ because it had just been shared, and he was like you know, eavesdropping this conversation that was happening next door with his neighbors. The Spirit of God had been working in his heart, and he gave his life to God. I'll never forget the, the prayer that this man prayed as he confessed his sins to God, and he asked God to forgive him and to come into his life and to be his Savior. He accepted the free gift of salvation. This is the first big rock. Salvation only comes one way. It comes by believing the message about Christ. This is the same case in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament. Abraham was saved by faith, just like people are saved by faith today. Abraham is the father of many nations. If you go back to the Old Testament in Genesis and you reach forward to the book of Revelation at the end, you know that people from every nation, every language, every tribe, and every people group will be in the new heaven and new earth. Abraham is the father of all of us. And the implied message there, the implied hope there, is that the invitation to belief in the message about Jesus is freely offered to anyone who will hear his voice. 
It's a free gift to all people. The second big rock from this salvation, or from this uh, passage I'd like to take away is simply this. Uh, salvation does not come any other way. And you may say, that sounds like uh, you're just repeating yourself, and it should be obvious. But you know, substitutes to genuine faith can be really sneaky. People believe all kinds of things that are actually contrary to the gospel uh, when they really think that they're believing the gospel. So it's important that we, we know that substitutes can be very sneaky. You know, the set point of most people in the world is trying to be good enough to earn God's grace. That's the set point of most people. That's the set point of most religions in the world. Paul might say, it is essential that we understand what does not constitute salvation. Because it's important to know what doesn't count. Recently, I've talked to people about salvation in various settings. And I know a person who believes that they're saved because they said a certain prayer. I know a person who believes he has saved as a neighborhood guy because he has been baptized into his church. In his words, I was baptized in the church, I was married in the church, I'll be buried in the church, I'm good. That's what he thinks. I know lots and lots of people who believe they're saved or they're hoping they're saved because they try to keep the Ten Commandments. I know a person who feels spiritual, kind of a connection with nature and connection with what is, and she's hoping that's enough. These things are very different than believing the message about Christ because that's the only way that salvation comes. According to verse 3, salvation is not based on human effort in the passage we read. According to verse 10, salvation doesn't come by keeping the Ten Commandments. In fact, the Ten Commandments are simply there to show us how far we really are from God and how desperately we need His grace. Verse 11 talks about salvation uh, not coming from the law. Verses 11 and 12, I'd like to read those again. It's clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law, for the scriptures say it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the law, which says it's through obeying the law that a person has life. Paul is setting up this, this enormous difference. There's the way of faith, and then there is the way of of the law. These first two points are summarized beautifully in, uh, in another place where Paul wrote to uh, his good friend Titus, a travel companion, and uh, he wrote a letter to Titus in chapter 4, verses 3 to 7. This is what he says to Titus when he's explaining salvation in great clarity. When God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not by righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. The Bible is crystal clear. Having our sins washed away, that's forgiveness. Um, having... Um, our, our sins washed, having new life in Christ, being made right with God. Um, confidence 
confidence about eternal life, what happens when we leave this world, all of this is because of God's kindness. It's because of God's mercy. It's because of God's generosity. All of this is a gift from God. We don't deserve God's gift. We can't earn it by keeping the Ten Commandments. God gives us salvation when we believe because God is good. Fundamentally, God is good. The message about Christ is very simple. In verse 13, we read that when he hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse of sin. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he said that uh, God made Christ, who was sinless, he never sinned, to be the offering for sin that we could be made right with uh, God through Christ. When a person understands that Jesus is God, he's God in the flesh, right? That Jesus died on the cross as my substitute to take the penalty for sin. At the moment of belief, that's when salvation comes. Believing the message about Christ, who he was, and what he did. My sin is forgiven at that moment, and I'm eternally reconciled with God, and that leads to prayer, it leads to confession, it leads to repentance from sin. When we we leave sin behind, we turn and we go the opposite direction as we walk with God. Have you ever been there when a person makes that decision? You know, that's that's an incredible moment in time where someone actually hears the message about Christ and they turn from their sin, they repent of sin, and they turn to him. And, they, and you're, you're witnessing this miracle of new life. It's an incredible moment that you, when you see that. Um, and that moment is the reason that we're talking about uh, Bluffton and County Road 99. It's the moment of genuine belief in the real Jesus that salvation occurs. You're probably beginning to catch the central theme of this book, of this, uh, this passage, Uh, that we are saved when we genuinely believe in the real Jesus. Nothing more and certainly nothing less. Paul also talked about the way of faith, which is very different than the way of the law. And Paul wants you to understand the way of faith. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. It's a supernatural thing. The life I live in this earthly body by trusting in God who loved me and gave himself for me. We are saved by faith, but we also walk by faith as believers. You don't get saved by faith and then go back to your own way of trying to please God. That's not how it works. We walk by faith. It's a supernatural connection to God. Christ living in you is how Paul describes it in Galatians 2.20. And this brings us to our third big rock for today, the, big, the third big point that uh, Paul really wants us to understand, and it's this. The one thing that separates genuine faith from everything else is the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the person. The one thing that separates genuine faith from everything else is the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. We are saved by faith, and we also walk by faith. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit in them. I want to go back to uh, chapter, or verse 3 of chapter 3 in Galatians. Paul says this, You received the Spirit 
because you believed the message you heard about Christ. Now, Paul is trying to make this abundantly clear as he always does when he writes. He could have said, you received eternal life when you believed the message about Christ. But that's not what he said. He said, you believed, you received the Holy Spirit when you believed the message you heard about Christ. It's the pneumatos, it's the, the Holy Spirit. It's, it's mentioned four times in this passage. It's mentioned in that passage in, in Titus that we read just a minute ago. It's a central piece of Christian faith. Genuine belief is distinguished from every other religious thing by the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of a person. A couple weeks ago, I was talking about Romans 8 down at the Bluffton Church where Fritz is now, and we kind of camped out at verse 9 for just a minute. Verse 9 in Romans chapter 8 says, Remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. People who don't have the Spirit in them are not believers. Genuine believers have the presence of the Spirit of God in them, and that's how we know that our faith is real. Consider Romans 8.11. His spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. The spirit of God himself communicates with our spirit, the part of us that makes us alive, that makes us human, that we are his children. It's, it's something personal. Galatians 2.20, it's, it's Christ in me. That's the dividing line between genuine faith and every substitute that is out there. Christians have the Holy Spirit in them, and they know that. They can sense that. A couple ways uh, the Holy Spirit makes his presence very, very clear uh, might be these. Uh, First of all, a Christian is in the fight against sin. Sometimes Christians think because they're in a fight against sin, they must not be saved. And actually, the opposite is true. Because we have God in us, uh, we can't camp out with sin, okay? It just doesn't work very well. And so the fight against sin is brought to intensity because the Spirit of God is in us, influencing us. Um, the presence of the Holy Spirit is known because his abiding presence is just there. You just know. Have you ever heard a person say that? I just know God's with me. I just know. And you know, that's actually a biblical idea. Um, the Spirit of God gr- draws us to things like Scripture and to prayer because he's, his presence is in us. The third thing I would say, and I'd like to just elaborate a little bit on that, is the increasing demonstration of the character of God is what we see in people who are believers. We sometimes call it supernatural transformation, um, but it's walking in the Spirit changes that are occurring in us because of the presence of the Spirit of God who is in us. Galatians chapter 5 is another sermon for another day, uh, but it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. If God is in us and his Holy Spirit indwells every single believer, you would expect that the character qualities, the, um, the things that, that represent God would start to ooze out of the Christian. Now, who can list the fruit of the Spirit? Do you know what they are? Kindness, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temper. Yeah, all these character qualities of God, those are the fruit of the Spirit, and they, they, they ooze out of the Christian as they grow in maturity because the Spirit of God is inside of the Christian. Down in Bluffton, Amy, you guys know Amy Russell, right? 
She can sing a song about the fruit of the Spirit. She did for us, actually. Love, joy, peace, all of those things. Those who uh, have the Spirit of God in them sense the uh, Spirit of God, uh, the, the attributes of the Spirit of God coming out of them. You know, Galatians 5 also has another list, okay? The list of the fruit of the flesh. You know, it's a, sometimes it's a good thing to look at those two lists and say, where do I live? You know, um, it's a little bit crazy, but I know uh, some people, older people who claim to be Christians, and they don't have the presence of the, the fruit of the Spirit in them at all. You know, they're sarcastic and they're angry and they're obnoxious sometimes, all those things, you know. They don't have any evidence of the Spirit of God in them. And, you know, they're living on the wrong list. Because if the Spirit of God is in a person, the character qualities of the Spirit start to flow out. You might be asking, how do I walk in step with the Holy Spirit? I'm a Christian. I sense God in me. I still am am tormented sometimes by sin. I'm trying to figure this all out. I'm trying to walk with God. And a couple of things I'd say, you know, in Romans 8, we read that those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Galatians 5, 16, if we walk in the Spirit, you won't uh, fulfill the desires of the flesh. It, you know, how do we do that? How do we, how do we get on that path where we're actually walking with God and the Spirit is controlling our life? Well, I would say uh, it's actually uh, maybe ridiculously simple. It can be so clear. I think it's actually a matter of saying yes to Jesus. I think it's really that simple. You know, we say yes to Jesus the first time when we understand the gospel and we cross the line of faith. We say yes to Jesus in baptism, that outward demonstration of the inward reality that God has saved us from our sin. But you know, learning to say yes to Jesus as the Holy Spirit prompts us is actually a lifelong thing for the Christian. You know, it's the spirit of truth that's in us. And it's the active, living word of God that we read. And you put those two together, okay? And, you, and, and God leads you through the truth of Scripture. And as you say yes to Jesus, as the Spirit prompts you and as the Scripture uh, expands the message about Christ that we, that we know, um, we, start to, we start to have heart change. Something happens inside us. I know drinkers, former drinkers, who've lost the interest in alcohol. I know people who used to be addicted to porn that are no longer subject to porn. I know people who were consumed by power who no longer manipulate other people. I know folks who just desire God. You know, they, they desire him through the scriptures. They desire him through prayer. These are all evidences of, of people who used to be like that. You know, such were some of you, is how Paul says it, where people have moved from whatever the thing was that drew them away from God. They've, they've experienced transformation by the Spirit of God by saying yes to Jesus in an increasing way each day in their lives. The active, living Word of God, the Spirit of truth, draws us into prayer, draws us into hope as we say yes to Jesus. You know, there's an opposite side to that. Now, the Bible talks about quenching the Spirit, the Bible talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. When I think about quenching the Holy Spirit, I think about the guy who's got two big jugs of water, you know? It's like, 
And he's standing there, and, and the, the, the flame pops up. You know, the Holy Spirit is leading him, right? And you pour water in that thing, you know? And another flame, and you pour water. You know, the Spirit of God really moves, and you see the big flame. You pour both water, you know? You put that thing out because the Holy Spirit is trying to influence you. You know, it's possible for Christians to actually quench the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life to pour water, cold water, on his influence as he's trying to draw you to, toward Christ. Grieving the Holy Spirit uh, has the idea of making God sad by the way you live. And I think that's talking about uh, self-leadership in our lives when we decide to go our own way instead of uh, saying yes to Jesus, following our own instincts instead of following the leading of the Holy Spirit. You know, at Lighthouse here, we don't have an, a, a hidden agenda, you know? We don't have a really actually a, a very um, complex strategy. Our thought here is that as we uh, look at the scriptures together in community, as we pray together, that the Holy Spirit changes our hearts. It's a real change. It's an organic change. We push against dead religion, okay? And we try to lean into those things which are real. Jesus didn't die on the cross to provide a better set of religious rules to follow, but instead to give us freedom in Christ. I'd like to conclude today by reading a couple passages from Scripture. The musicians are going to come and they'll start playing. Um, I'd like to read just a, a handful of passages. The first is Galatians chapter 5.16 for you to consider. So I say, let the Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature urges you to do. In Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 11 through 14, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living in you. Of course, he's talking to Christians. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. If you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you'll live. All who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Here at Lighthouse, you are invited into discussions about Scripture. We do that in family groups each week. We do that on Sunday morning. Um, if you're a not yet believer, and you're thinking about this, you know, you can dive into that family group thing. You can talk to the pastors and elders and family group leaders. We're always up for a discussion about the truth of Scripture. This morning, we'll have prayer partners at the front and in the back. And uh, this is an opportunity for anyone here to pray about anything. Uh, most often when I pray with prayer partners on a Sunday morning, I'm just thankful for something that God is doing in my life. You can pray about anything. So let me pray for you, and then it'll be open season for anyone who would like to pray with a prayer partner this morning. God in heaven, we're thankful for the clarity of the truth of Scripture that salvation comes only through Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. But we're grateful that it's a free gift and that we can have confidence that's underscored by the presence of your Holy Spirit in our lives as we, we get on that path of growing in grace. So I pray for each person here, uh, people who maybe uh, aren't believers, but also people who are believers who are actively sharing this hope that they have with others. I pray that your spirit would, would guide all of us, give us the discernment to know you in authenticity. 
And now I pray that you would draw each person forward to pray who needs to pray at this moment. I pray all this through Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.